Hello, welcome to another episode of Pop Culture is Killing Me. This week I had the absolute best time talking to Megan Cuniff and she is a legal affairs reporter based in LA. And if you recognize that name, it's probably because you were following her throughout the Tory Lanez trial. Megan was a really important voice during this trial because A, she was in court every single day and live tweeting and just keeping us up to date on what was going on inside and outside the courtroom. Um, But she was also a very sort of level-headed voice in a moment where a lot of people were just trying to figure out what the truth was. And if you guys remember, the Tory Lanez trial was and continues to be a very controversial topic. So here's my talk with Megan Cuniff. You've been doing this for a while, but for a lot of people who might be listening, their first introduction to you was recently covering the Tory Lanez trial. Um, So you had like thousands of people literally waiting for you to tweet every single day. Is that level of attention like unusual for cases that you're typically covering? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was it was huge. But Bef- before this, probably the the biggest case and most attention that I gotten was I covered. Uh, he was a lawyer in Southern California who had kind of a flash pan uh, fame in 2018 representing Stormy Daniels, My- Michael Evanotti. Mm-hmm. So I covered his trial in uh, summer of 2022. I think I got like 2000 followers overnight when I started live tweeting it and, you know, got all. And I, so I thought that was a really big thing. But covering Tory Lanes, I got 3000 followers in an hour. And I remember it like the 90 minutes between me tweeting, there was a verdict and going in to uh, see the verdict there. I got like 15,000 more followers. I mean, it was crazy. And oh actually gosh. somebody that I know from the Michael Evanati coverage, who's been following my stuff from, from back in the day uh, tweeted, he said, Megan's followers and interactions have gone up 50 fold since she started covering the trials of actual celebrities as compared to the trials of certified platinum nobody michael Evanati. it's like yeah most people have never even heard of Evanati. yeah but yeah i mean it was it was unreal how much interaction i was getting it was cool yeah and and so how did that change or, or did it affect in any way your ability to get the job done or did it change any way in any way like the just your process or how you typically do things I don't think it changed how I did things, but it definitely was something to deal with. But I kind of, I kind of felt it more of a problem when I was covering Evanati. Like I, I, that's when I was like a little overwhelmed by all the Twitter attention. So while this was way bigger than that, I felt, I felt like I was a little bit used to it and I was able to just tune it out. It, it was kind of hard to, cause I wanted to read all this stuff cause it was, you know, fun and all the replies and people were being nice, but you know, you can't take your phone in the courtroom. And then when you come out of the courtroom and have access to your phone, you're, you're trying to do the updates. And then even outside of the updates, like part of what I think sets my work apart or what I'd, I'd like to think sets it apart is, is the depth of the reporting that it isn't just the tweets. It's mm-hmm. the longer form articles and kind of the thought that I give into the issues that are going on. And you can't do that when you're reading all your notifications or, you know, participating in all the social discussions that are going on in the hallway. 
Yeah, I, and I think, as you say, just the thoroughness of the reporting was something that definitely, I think, for me especially, drew people to you in that moment. Um, just because it was also a, a case where there was so much um, misinformation that was going around about it. So did you feel a kind of a little bit of added pressure in this case um, just because you, in a lot of ways, were for many people the only legitimate source? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if like like pressure was the the right word, because I try I tried to just feel it as as, you know, this cool thing that was happening and people were so interested. And I tried to think of ways to c connect with them and ways to connect with the people I'm uh, the, the huge audience I have, because I'm used to, you know, I, I started covering really complicated civil trials for the Daily Journal and you're writing for lawyers and judges. So some of the stuff that you write about or you you, you end up thinking about things a different way. But like I remember sitting in the court at, when they were going to go over the jury instructions and then the exhibit list, which is a really standard thing that they would do in every trial where the judge and the attorneys and then usually the clerk, if they're talking about the exhibits, they just want to make sure they have everything right. So they're going down the list. And I would never sit and, you know, write everything down like that. But I remember thinking, I was like, oh, wow, if they're just going to go over and name every piece of evidence in this trial, I should write down every piece of evidence and then tweet that out. It's like stuff like that, that like really connects with people. It was like kind of fun to think of new ways to uh, connect with people and then also try to think about information that I might take for granted just as somebody who is always in a courtroom, but that other people would be fascinated to know about, you know, it was kind of a cool challenge. I tried to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And and as you were, you know, covering the case um, and and following it on social media and seeing the way that people were talking about it on social media, um, what's one thing or a couple of things that you found that people got wrong when it came to um, sort of the legal technicalities of the case? So because as you say, you're typically writing for, you know, judges and lawyers and and there is a specific sometimes a specific language that gets used and and terms and things like that. So what was it that people you found in this case? were getting wrong. One thing I noticed, and, and they do in, do it in the courtroom too, is that everyone calls it a podium instead of a lectern. Everyone says that the lawyer is standing at a podium, but it's actually a lectern, and they're not they're not like up on a platform. That mm -hmm. that's probably kind of a small thing. But uh, one thing was uh, Kelsey's fifth plea and mm. the granting of immunity on that. I I thought that was um, un unusual from the court standpoint, and that we didn't have an explanation for for why he allowed her to do that. Like like what kind of uh, actual criminal pressure she was actually facing, because to to plead the fifth, you can't just plead the fifth if you don't want to answer a question. You know, you have to actually be facing criminal liability. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I didn't think that she she was and we didn't really get an explanation of that. But I felt like uh, it was also pretty commonplace for her to plead fifth, to have uh, a witness who was in her situation like that and you know, the, all, all the witness tampering allegations that have gone on, that kind of thing. I, I felt like her situation up on the stand, like the, the legal technicalities and maybe the legal, how, how common what happened was, wasn't properly conveyed. Like not only the fifth plea, but then also when she got up there and wouldn't identify Tori as the shooter, even though she did in the September interview, like, while it was, I mean, it was a big moment. It, it, a lot of people acted like it was just this hu huge detri you know, detrimental thing to prosecutors case when they actually deal with that all the time. Like maybe not those prosecutors specifically, but it happened 
happens in like domestic violence cases and like gang cases where the the witness gets up on the stand and doesn't talk doesn't say what they said in the previous interview so the prosecutor is then able to go to the previous interview and bring out statements from it and i felt like people kind of lost that but then they also the the significance of her entire interview being played with uh, prosecutors. The fact that Tori's lawyer had kind of questioned her in cross-examination so much that it opened the door for the entire uh, tape to be played. I thought the like legal significance of that was was lost in, in some places. Although a, a lot of places I think did like like Rolling Stone and like Nancy from Rolling Stone like gets all that stuff and everything she had. She had all that stuff. So I, I, I don't think there was any like big moment that everyone just completely missed. But like mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like the whole package, like all together is like a little weird, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And when you say that, you describe moments like, you know, like Kelsey refusing to kind of like ident- directly identify Tori um, or, you know, her kind of pleading the fifth. And, and this I think we as a public and as a viewing audience kind of have this law and order perception of the way that trials play out, which isn't often the way that it plays out in real life. And a lot of it is very routine and not very (laughs) pretty boring and not very exciting. Yeah, 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 totally. Like the the behind the scenes stuff, the kind of planning of the of the witnesses and and just all the technicalities that that go into it. But then it's also, you know, I, I do get kind of fascinated by all the the pretrial stuff and the outside the jury talk about like what they can allow and what they can't because that's when you really like see the lawyers and you know in, in their native habitat and can kind of uh, uh assess how they're doing i remember i was covered the legislature as an intern the uh idaho state legislature actually in in 2006 and another reporter who covered the legislature commented that you know all these people who are voting on their state representatives and state senators you really don't know anything about these people until you actually like see how they are at the state house like how their relationships are and how their committee assignments are and that kind of thing and it's the same with lawyers like you really don't know anything about them until you see them in court so as much as you can see about them as you can kind of gives you gives you an idea of like how they're actually representing their client and like what they're actually doing you know well i know one thing we don't often talk about um especially in court reporting is vicarious trauma which is something that i, I know i've personally experienced in covering you know trials about whether it's sexual assault or any kind of gender-based violence and and that's something that often gets left out of the conversation when we think about the people who are sitting in the courtroom um so what what is what is that experience like for you and how do you kind of manage you know the moments when you're having to walk away from all of it yeah and and, and that's you know something something so many reporters face who you know have to cover mass shootings and then just you know awful testimony that you hear and it's just you know a matter of finding a balance in your, in your life and making sure that you have you know other activities to do or you can kind of you know you have people around that you can talk to you know i i i walk every night or i try to go for a walk every night, which is like, you know, right at sunset, I, I live in a good area for that. So that's kind of a good like routine kind of thing. And, you know, you just have to learn to, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like the judges and the lawyers who deal with it every day. You know, you just have to learn to, you don't want to say detach yourself from it because part of being a journalist is, you know, to have, you know, empathy for the people that you're covering and to have, you know, be able to relate to their, you know, not, not relate to their situation, but be able to understand their situation and, and really take the personal view of it. But you just have to remember to not, you know, not just be doing it, you know, 
all the time. There can be, but there can be times that just, you know, it's almost accidental. I remember I was sitting in a, a trial just the other week. This was after the Tory Megan trial was a federal trial at the courthouse that I always go to. And the, the judge is one of the judges that lets me use my laptop in court. So I'm just able to work on other stuff back there. But it was a trial about a prison murder. Uh, Serenio gang members killed another Serenio gang member out in the prison yard. And the defendant who witnessed the whole thing te- was testifying there. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I just think I heard like the worst thing I've ever heard because he described up on the witness stand, like exactly how they killed the guy. And he was a really animated storyteller. So he was like slapping the witness stand and like standing up, like doing the head jerks and everything. It was horrifying. I was like, oh my God. So, I mean, I, I uh, how, how did I really deal with that I didn't like go to a counseling session afterward but I definitely like talked to a few people about it I didn't relay all the details that I heard and I didn't I didn't tweet I tweeted just a general summary of wow that was really descriptive but you know you just l- let it out and you don't want to say that you you uh <clears throat> you know you you're detached from it but you know you, you don't know these people and it's not like a personal Sometimes I'll be in the courtroom when somebody's family is in there and it always is like a good reminder of how how much this really does affect like, you know, like people who knew these people and people people's actual lives. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've also, um, you know, as you mentioned, covered some pretty high profile cases. So, uh, you know, Tom Girardi, um, the OMG girls and I guess slash T.I. and Tiny, um, Cardi B, Danny Masterson. And and these aren't just like everyday people, you know, going through the legal system. These are also celebrities and people who know that they are going to be photographed and that people are going to be, you know, watching them as they come out of the courtroom. So one thing that really struck me as interesting watching the uh, Tory Lanez trial, especially as more family members began to be more uh, prominent in it, throughout the proceedings, um, was people's fashion choices. <laughs> so I'm yeah, curious what yeah. you noticed about that and, and, and what stood out for you in this case. Yeah, it was it was a total uh, fashion show. Somebody, one of my friends commented <laughs> on one of the photos. They're like, oh, wow, this has brought out some epic outfits. And, you know, yeah. Tori was always dressed and he had that powder pink uh, suit the last mm-hmm. couple of days. And then his dad and his stepmom were always, you know, dressed, dressed up. And it was I mean, it was kind of kind of glamorous, but it was also just like to me, it was it was also a reminder of how they, they were all obviously so focused on the social media and mm. attention and like the description of it. It's like you might want to like focus a little more on like what your lawyer's doing in court because yeah. yeah. <laughs> not going very well in there, dude. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And is yeah. that something that you find um, happens across the board? Like are celebrities sometimes more preoccupied, do you find, with kind of the optics um, of these proceedings sometimes for sure but I, I i think it also just kind of depends like the one the probably the first like big celebrity trial i covered recently was uh vanessa bryant's mm-hmm. trial for over the kobe bryant crash photos trial and she was you know she, she didn't talk to anyone and i mean that was a really personal thing for her she was really upset about it and she also just had really good lawyers you know like like you could tell like they had such a good case and it was probably like one of the best trials that I've covered and she walked out to the cameras every day. And I think she, she was obviously, you know, definitely conscious of, 
of the camera look, but she had uh, uh, Monica and Sierra there one day. They were both there in court for her uh, near the last day. And Monica came the next day too. So, and they walked out together like arms linked and everything and 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 somebody commented like oh they're just doing this for attention i'm like because eh, i mean obviously they were doing it for an optic but i'm like i, I don't think the the way they sat in court all day and it was pretty boring testimony the day mm-hmm. they were there they were sitting in mona or uh vanessa is the uh plaintiff so she's up at the uh in the well of the court at the table and has like the soft chair but anyone in the gallery is like sitting on these really hard benches so you know to say that sierra and monica just came for like some photo shoot it's like no i think they're really good friends and they wanted to like show i mean they were there to show support like for the jury and just like for the other the other side the the sheriff's county side of it so i mean it's just like different examples of uh different celebrities you know i don't think she was like playing for the camera at all but you just definitely see that in different different cases for sure like the idea that uh they don't want us to take photos of them leaving court you know it's like no i think you're kind of dressed for that actually yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly um and so what is the in your memory um strangest thing that you've seen happen whether in or outside the courtroom at one of these celebrity trials Gosh, you know, probably it was probably Vanessa's trial when this fire captain uh, who went up and photographed the scene, like took up close uh, pictures of all the bodies, even after somebody else had already done it and had like no reason to do it and was like, he was going to be fired, but then he was able to get through the union, turn it into retirement. But in the middle of his testimony, he just got up and left the witness stand. And he was like, I, I need a break, you know, because he says he has PTSD from what he saw. And if they would ask him any photos about like, did you see Kobe's body or what did you, he would, you know, act like he couldn't remember or it was just too traumatic. But yeah, there were God, two or three times he he got up and just left the witness stand. Like when I was like, can, can you even do this? And the judge yeah. is just like, what is going on? And he, he came back within, you know, 90 seconds or two minutes or so. So it wasn't, it wasn't any big thing, but that was, that was a pretty crazy, uh, crazy incident. Um, when all the high schoolers were mobbing Cardi B too. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and they weren't, they weren't like mobbing her, but they were, I mean, her security was a little nervous about it, but you know, they were just, high school kids their high their high school was right across the street and they were just fans of hers but the one one morning they were all waiting out for her and one kid had the sign he was asking her to homecoming and her lawyer showed up before (laughs) but yeah before her and was like negotiating with with the kids like okay you know cardi's gonna show up and her and her security's not gonna like this huge mob of kids and she's gonna end up taking her around the back so you guys need to spread out but then the security ended up doing that anyway like taking her around the other exit it. So this huge mob of high school kids ran into the lobby of the courthouse, which they all had their cameras out and stuff, which you're not supposed to do. Like you're not supposed to have any cameras in there or anything, but they all came in screaming and like taking pictures of Cardi and everything. And they were in there for a minute. The security was like pushing them out and everything, but you know, you can't stop the crowds. Like yeah. that was probably, <laughs> that, that was a crazy thing to witness. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it was. And and speaking of, um, you know, photo photo moments, um, I do want to show you this photo and ask you if you recognize this young lady. Over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's that is me. You. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was Discovery watching. ID or... Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Real Murders of Orange County, um, an episode oh, yeah. of that. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Ashman Sacks. Yeah, that was a yeah. good one. Oh, yeah. And so have you done a lot of um, sort of the, those types of interviews or you know, where you're talking about your coverage of a case? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've probably done, I, I did a 48 hours about that same case that Ashton Sachs uh, killed his parents in San Juan Capistrano. I did a mm-hmm. few different shows on that. The biggest one being the CBS 48 hours, but a couple of oxygens. Um, it, do you remember Nancy Grace? I do. Nancy Grace was the first one I was ever on, on HLN. Uh, when I worked up at the Spokesman Review, there was, unfortunately, that was a sad case. A babysitter uh, was killed a toddler boy she was um, like pushed him and he hit his head and he, oh. he died and nancy grace just went crazy over it and that was on there for a couple of nights but that was the first time i did uh i i did one of those interviews but yeah i i like um you know i especially in this day and age with so much so many other mediums and so many people getting their news from different mediums i think it's it's really important to to branch out and mm-hmm. be aware of, you know, try to use TikTok yourself. Like I, I'm getting trying to get into YouTube. I've got a Substack, that kind of thing. I, you know, any any way you can kind of bring the news to the people, you should try it. Absolutely. And do you kind of look back at Nancy Grace now and cringe that you were on there? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I remember it was like kind of controversial in the newsroom. It's like, should we go on Nancy yeah. Grace? It's like, well, it's like. We're not the ones being hysterical and sensational, you know. She's asking me for information, and as a reporter, I'm doing information. So, so the editors agreed it was it was fine. But yeah, it was a little like yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was it was probably in the public interest to have at least one legitimate voice on there talking about it. Um, and you know, I'm also just curious, you know, talking about um, you know, 48 Hours and Nancy Grace, what your thoughts are on on just the true crime genre. Um, So I don't mean crime reporting, but I mean, you know, true crime as we consume it um, in pop culture. And so I'm a, you know, a little bit embarrassed to say a bit of a true crime fanatic. um, But I also am somebody who thinks a lot about like the ethics of true crime and how we, you know, weigh the public interest versus, you know, um, people's lives, real lives and experiences. Um, So is that something that you think about? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, just the kind of popcorn consumerism of like other people's tragedies, you know, they're like, not even really giving you any kind of analysis. They're just kind of saying, you know, oh, ha ha ha, the judge said this, like, look at this 12 second clip of a judge, like raising his voice or something, you know, it's like, and they're not really even giving any context or like, empathy or, you know, anything like that, like the, the Alex Murdaugh case. I mean, I, I can definitely see why people are, are interested in that, just the whole lawyer aspect of it and everything. But some of the commentary and stuff and the, and the tweets about it, I'm like, are, are we going to get any real analysis other than just, I mean, it's, it seems like it's entertainment and not, and not, and not journalism. And I mean, you know, it, it says something that it's, it's so popular and, and that we're, we're just seeing so much more of it. But I, I, I think there's, I, th- I think there's a place for like good ethics and, and, and good journalism in, you know, true crime reporting. You know, I just call mm-hmm. it crime reporting. I mean, when yeah. you're if you were the crime reporter at the newspaper, you were the crime reporter, you know, you know, you weren't the true crime reporter. But, um, you know, I, I've got, you know, books over here from uh, oh, where am I pointing here? Yeah, over there. Uh, I can't see them. But from uh, Ann Rule and uh, Jack Olson and, you know, they were queen and dean of of true crime they they said so that's been around for you know that the, the whole idea of people 
writing about crime and spinning big, long narrative stories about crime has been around for so long. But I don't think what has been around is just this like popcorn consumerism of it, you know, making up clips, the the video aspect of it is new. And I'm kind of torn between, you know, I would never advocate that we not do that because I, I think it's great that we're able to stream entire trials and you can just sit at home and like, watch a trial and people can see the judicial system. But I think when you are like an agency that's bringing that service to people, you also have a responsibility to, to bring some balanced reporting and, and, and explain to people what they're seeing, you know, or, or, or try to try to guide them in the right, you know, a, a, a civically responsible way of thinking about the case, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like that's not what we, what we get with a lot of these things. No, no, it really isn't. Um, and so just speaking of books, um, in all this glorious free time that you have, um, what are you reading uh, right now that you're enjoying? Uh, I'm reading this book called uh, These Secret Woods. It's uh, Kim, what is it, Kimmy, Kimmy Cunningham Grant. It, it's a, a, a mystery book about a guy and his uh, young daughter. Uh, the mom died in a car accident and then he did something. We, we don't know yet, but they had to go live in the woods and they're out like survivalist style in the woods. It's uh, it, it, it it's good. I try to read different, different stuff. I read what uh, seven, I read that seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo book uh, before that. I, I read a lot of novels. I, I have some nonfiction books that I want to, read but i read so many court documents and nonfiction is like my job that i i just i like to kind of lose myself in a fiction book when i can yeah. i was gonna say you gotta let your brain take a little bit of a break from that stuff sometimes i bet and, and as someone who sees a lot of these cases play out in real life what do you think gets lost um or what kind of nuance gets lost in the kind of popcorn consumerism as you call it um, a, a lot, a lot of the humanity and of of the back and forth of the lawyers of just the court proceedings and and that kind of thing. It just becomes this kind of manufactured thing when you know it's actually just like a bunch of really real people like trying to deal with like one of society's like most complex issues and you know it, it kind of just becomes a lot of people trying to score one-liners and get stuff for their sizzle reel you know so they can get more appearances on bigger networks or something I don't, I don't know but um i feel like we 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 miss the you know the the legal analysis and the um just kind of actual humanity like courtroom reporting you know but but we also do do get that a little bit so i don't i don't, I don't want to like sound all high <laughs> Before I let you go, where can people find you online? I work for Los Angeles Magazine, and I've got uh, I'm on YouTube at Megan Cuniff, and I've got uh, a Substack which is mcuniff.substack.com, and that's kind of a hub for everything I do. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, and also I think TikTok, but it, my name on everything, and it's it's an H and two N's. Megan Cuniff, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and a rating. You can find us on Instagram at Pop Culture is Killing Me and on Twitter at Pop underscore Killing. Bye.